What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another fantastic episode of Fraternity. I'm your little brother, Danny, and I'm here with my big brother, Sean. Pop-Tart? Did you, did you say you had Pop-Tarts? <laughs> you can have all the Pop-Tarts you want, Sean. You know, it's getting close to October, getting real close, and to get into that mood, it's the end of September, let's start putting on some horror movies, and a, I think a good movie to put on and get in the mood for Halloween in October is Cabin in the Woods, wouldn't you say? It definitely is one of the most perfect mood setters out there. And I have to ask Danny, had you ever heard of Cabin in the Woods or seen it before? Yeah, I had seen it before. I think I watched it with you. Um, I can't remember when exactly, but I think you showed it to me at one point. And I remember liking it. I never revisited it until now. But... uh. Yeah, it was uh, quite enjoyable to come back to this film and watch it again. I think you have enough experience under your belt now to appreciate this movie even more than you might have the first time you saw it. Right. I mean, anyone can see what they're going for here, but it's like the more you put into the horror genre, the more you get out of this film. So yeah, I can definitely see that. I definitely enjoyed it more this time, I think. Not even really thinking about like how much horror I've consumed over the past year, but just uh, overall, it's like, man, that is, this is a really solid movie. Definitely. And I know that I've spoken before about this period in my life around 2012 and 2013 where I was no longer collecting horror movies. I wasn't even giving them a lot of time. I no longer had the mom and pop VHS horror collection, and most of the DVDs that I did have were lost in a flood. I was living in this apartment with some roommates, and one of the things I would do is when I did my shopping, I would do my shopping on Tuesday, and I would always check the new release wall. Not necessarily for horror, but just for whatever was new that week. And this is how I wound up blind buying The Cabin in the Woods. I literally had as little knowledge about this movie going into it that's possible. And that's probably the ideal way to go about seeing this film. I can't deny, and I've also admitted on this show to being a bit curmudgeonly when it comes to modern horror. And I've had that bad habit for quite a long time. But every now and again, a movie like this comes along that I wind up finding so absolutely refreshing. I imagine most people have heard from one source or another about that one kid who thought that the people killed in the horror movies were actually killed for real. Well, this movie takes that concept and just runs wild with it, crafting this magnificent plot while deconstructing the genre. There's a trope to exploit at every turn, and an iconic killer or monster to pay homage to. And at the end of the day, it's just a whole lot of fun. So if you're all packed up and ready to go, Danny, why don't we pay a visit 
to the cabin in the woods. But before that, I just wanted to say you can follow us on Twitter, the number one place to keep up to date with everything that Fraternity is doing and going on with Fraternity is on Twitter. Go over there, like our tweets, retweet us, DM us if you want to chit chat, and if you have any questions, shoot them over there. We also have an email, fraternity at gmail.com. That's fraternity at gmail.com. Go over there, shoot us any questions, comments, anything at all. We'd love to hear from you and respond and get to know our fans a little bit better. And if you like the show, you love Fraternity, go over to wherever you listen to Fraternity on and give us a rating because it helps us grow our vast reach in the horror community and we want to become the number one podcast on the internet. And that is our goal. You know, before we get into the movie, Danny, I should mention, I haven't brought it up in an episode, but I have now reached the halfway point of the hashtag 100 horror movies in 92 days challenge. I applaud you. It's a not an easy task to uh, watch a new movie every single day. <laughs> yeah, and unfortunately, I can't get a movie in every single day, so I'm doing a lot of double features, but once I hit movie number 48, I was like, man, I should do something really special for reaching this point. And so I went to the movie theater, and I saw Barbarian and Pearl back-to-back for number 49 and 50 in my challenge. And it was such a treat. I'm a bigger fan of Pearl than I was of Barbarian, but I would definitely recommend any horror fan to go check these movies out. It was a fun time. I was going to ask you, uh, were you more of a fan of X or more of a fan of Pearl? That's what I was kind of thinking, because you had seen X recently. And you just saw Pearl, so I was like, I wonder which one he might like better. You know, I feel like I have to see them both again, but I've got to be honest, I'm leaning towards Pearl just because it was so outrageous and such a bizarre tone and atmosphere. Like, X really riffs on some classic slashers. And it does it pretty well. Like, I'm a fan of the subgenre of slasher that X riffs on. But I still didn't think it was as good as those movies. Whereas Pearl creates its own identity, you know? And I also have to say that Mia Goth gave an Anthony Perkins-worthy performance, and that is the highest praise I can give. Because <laughs> <laughs> I love me some Anthony Perkins, and I was blown away. I actually got to see Pearl in the theater by myself. No one else came to that showing. And <laughs> I was just... I had a smile on my face. I was tensing up and cringing. It was really good, man. And so... Yeah, I'm definitely going to say Pearl at the moment, but you know, when we do those for episodes, who knows what I'll have to say. Right on. Awesome. Yeah, I was just curious. And it's like, it's pretty rare you see like a horror sequel or prequel, I guess, in this 
manner, but you know, it's pretty rare nonetheless to have like another story related, another movie related. And it just makes me think about how that's kind of a lost art of the horror franchise. And it kind of reminded me of that. So, you know, a lot of people's favorite Friday the 13th or Halloween's aren't necessarily the original. You know, they're somewhere in the middle. Everyone has different tastes. So I think that's an interesting thought. We need more horror sequels and horror franchises. I love what you said there. And I'll tell you, Pearl is all about a lot of lost art. So, you know, there's a lot of movies like X, but I haven't seen one like Pearl in a very, very long time. Awesome. Very cool. So, Danny, Cabin in the Woods. I have to say, as I was reacquainting myself with this movie, I just kept getting more and more excited. Because this movie... (laughs) is truly a horror movie buffet. And like any buffet, you can take as little or as much as you'd like from it. And no matter the choice, you're more than likely going to be satisfied. Right. I read something about this film and it really rings true where it's no matter if you love horror or if you hate horror and all its tropes, There's something to get out of this movie, and that's quite a feat to kind of reach both extremes. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. And you know, there's so much you can take, but you can also walk away with taking very little from it, and I think you're still going to like it, you know? Mm Mm-hmm, definitely. The, The core story is there where it's enough to just satisfy you as a whole film. You don't need any, like, prior knowledge or anything. But like we said, the more you kind of know, the more you get out. Definitely. And right from the start, this movie lets you in on what's going on. It's kind of refreshing to not have to worry about any reveals or twists. Because we get this immediate peek behind the curtain. We're introduced to Hadley and Sitterson, the engineers, or puppeteers as they call it of this program we're watching so the basic plot is this i don't know what you'd call them but it's a global sect of some sort that orchestrate these elaborate ritual sacrifices to appease these giant evil gods and basically these sacrifices play out on an unwitting group who are being manipulated chemically subliminally and any other ways into playing into tropes of horror movies while being morphed into stereotypical characters. It's sort of like the horror movie version of David Fincher's The Game, if the game was real, and we got to peek behind the curtain a lot more. Right. Or kind of similar to something like The Truman Show, and even one of the characters' names is Truman, which I think is an obvious reference. Yeah, good call. But yeah, I love too that out the gate, you know, the movie starts and there's something different about it. We're, yeah, seeing these uh, facility workers like shooting the shit and talking about something. And it's like, is this a horror movie? What's going on here? But yeah, the movie doesn't like lure you in and like trick you. It's like immediately like, oh, this is 
going to be something different, which, yeah, I really appreciate. You also have to love a title card that screams at you. (laughs) Yeah, I was going to say you haven't seen it yet, but we're going to do it eventually. This reminded me of the title card in Funny Games. (laughs) Right on. Looking forward to it. (laughs) (laughs) So we've met the puppeteers. Now it's time to meet our teenagers. And I know these are college-age kids, but I'm calling them fucking teenagers, all right? It's a slasher movie. (laughs) (laughs) So we've got Dana, our final girl, or virgin. And you know, her transformation is definitely the most subtle, but it has some fun moments. And I like all the information we get here. We know that Dana had a relationship with one of her teachers. So it goes without saying that she has had some sexual experience in her life. (laughs) Right. Then you've got her friend Jules, the whore, who is of course dating the athlete Kurt. A brilliant and hilarious performance by Thor himself, Chris Hemsworth. I know I told you (laughs) I really loved him in this movie, so... Any thoughts? (laughs) Yeah, he's great as playing like, yeah, the total jock, especially that scene where he's like trying to take control of the situation. He's like, no, wait, we should split up. (laughs) (laughs) But you know, what's funny is he's not the full jock here yet, you know, because we're told he's a sociology major and Jules is pre-med, but. I thought their relationship was very thespian and they deliver some really fun back and forth. Totally. Yeah. They're like a little deeper than the, the surface level would have you uh, think. Yeah. And then rounding out our group is the new guy Holden. And he is pretty much the athlete at start, but he's going to transition into the goober. <laughs> Or what does he call him? The egghead? (laughs) And last but not least, we get the stoner, Marty. I think the character of Marty could have easily been mishandled, but they make some really great choices with him. First and foremost, by giving him the suspicion or the awareness of the wickedness afoot, while also keeping him consistently blazed. Definitely pays dividends. Yeah, it definitely aids in casting that doubt on like, is there really anything more going on, you know, to everybody? (laughs) Maybe he's just blazed out of his mind, but in the end, he's completely right on all accounts. (laughs) All right, so with the introductions over, it's time to head to the cabin in the woods. And one thing this movie does great that I want to mention early on is the way they cut between the quote-unquote movie and the quote-unquote behind-the-scenes bits. Like, the transitions never feel out of place. They always push the narrative forward in a fluid manner, while being able to skip past unnecessary bits. And at its best, it delivers some fantastic comedic timing. Yeah, I was, like, enjoying the behind-the-scenes so much every time. I was like, oh, man, this is, like, 
so well written, so well structured, so funny, you know. It's rare when a movie is like genuinely laugh out loud funny, but I definitely had some laughs watching this again. I'm like, man, this is so good. And it's so well paced, you know. 90 minutes, totally solid run times from start to finish. <laughs> no lulls. We love our hour and a half movies over here for eternity, okay? <laughs> Yeah, you push it to an hour and 40, you make our job harder, okay? Let's keep it at 90 max. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I'm with you, man. I love all the the behind-the-scenes stuff, and we get a scene here with Sitterson and Hadley entering their control room, and we meet the security detail, and that's the guy named Truman. And he's basically the audience member character. He doesn't know what's really going on much like us and then you get the chem department lady and she's the other half of that equation like she's unfortunately saddled with explain the story details but we watch them acquire their targets and as luck would have it our targets have arrived at the rundown gas station of the harbinger and this is basically the crazy ralph or the gas station owner in the hills have eyes type of character. It's always a it, it's always a gas station, you know. Start it, it's time to start taking gas cans, people. <laughs> yeah, why do they fill up anyway? The car's not going to start. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this dude is great though. He warns the teens of the impending doom. And then we learn that it's up to them to choose to ignore this warning sign or not. But We know where this is going, so it's a short trip to the cabin. But we do get a good idea of the scope of this conspiracy, including a glimpse at the invisible force field. Now, I think we can save the conversation on this force field for a more impactful moment, shall we say? Yeah, all we really need to establish here is that the cabin in the woods is in this force field barrier and nothing can get in. Is it just me or does that cabin look really freaking small from the outside? (laughs) Compared to the interior shots? (laughs) Yeah, I feel you. I was like, there's no way. (laughs) It is a nice creeper of a cabin though, isn't it? (laughs) It's just dull enough with a little bit of eeriness. (laughs) Yeah, it's, let's say, foreboding. (laughs) And that foreboding continues when Holden finds a real bloodbath of a painting in his room. And when he takes it down, he's startled to discover a two-way mirror. And Dana is about to undress in front of him. But Holden does the gentlemanly thing. And then the group moves on and goes for a swim in the lake. But at the same time, the control room is now full of background characters that make up the employees of this organization. And the group is putting money into a betting pool. And we're going to learn that the teens will unwittingly choose their horror movie villain. And what that may be is what the employees are putting wagers on. Love this scene. Like you said, these scenes are just so fun, right? Yeah, like, it's building tension on all the different little items. 
here. You've got that music box. You've got the uh, not-so-subtle, obvious uh, puzzle box <laughs> reference to Hellraiser. <laughs> but I found it, like, really funny this time, though. Like, yeah, like, oh, man, like, all these, like, different things. But you've all seen them in a horror movie before. <laughs> and it's like, which one is going to win? It was just really hilarious. Nothing beats the conch. And they squeeze <laughs> every joke out of that conch that they can get. <laughs> but with all the wagers placed and everything in place, it's time to get this party started, Danny. And you gotta love when the teens kick the music on and we cut back to Citizen and Hadley dancing too. Just getting down. You, know, you gotta enjoy your job. Right. Everyone else is so puckered up, but not them. <laughs> they got it in the bag. They don't need Japan. <laughs> and again, I know we're calling them teenagers, but what is a college-aged party without a friendly game of truth or dare, Danny? So we get a scene with Marty daring Jules to go make out with this mounted wolf's head on the wall. Did you have any thoughts on this bit? <laughs> Well, it's just so over the top, you know. <laughs> it's just, uh, yeah, totally goes all the way with it. But I love the little reaction shots of everyone else in the group. Like, Marty's like, okay, this is what we're doing. What the fuck? <laughs> yeah, I love how we're watching Kurt devolve into a meathead. <laughs> Next up. Jules decides to ask Dana truth or dare. And I love how Kurt berates her here. And it causes her to choose dare. But the game gets interrupted when the cellar door bursts open, you know, from the wind or something. Because of the wind. <laughs> <laughs> so Dana winds up getting dared to venture down there to discover what lurks below. And what lurks below is all those items you were talking about, Danny. So it's up to these teenagers to pick one of these items and trigger their horror movie villain. And Dana wins when she reads a diary out loud to the group. And I love Marty's horror movie awareness here, too. He's like... I'm drawing a line in the fucking sand. <laughs> Don't read the Latin. <laughs> I dare everybody to go back upstairs. <laughs> I'm not so sure it's so cool to be down here. <laughs> but everybody knows that Latin is getting read. And of course, this raises the Buckners from the dead. So the Buckners are a zombie redneck torture family. So the betting pool goes to maintenance and the intern. <laughs> but let's talk about the Buckners for a minute. So, zombie torture redneck family. You know what I find so fascinating about them is when you really think about it, they're completely unique to this movie. And yet there's such an air of familiarity about them. What are your thoughts on the Buckner family? Yeah, you're totally right. 
especially I don't know which one it is exactly. I assume it's the dad, but the one with the long hair is so like familiar <laughs> right. for some reason. The hulking monster. Yeah, the hulking muscular zombie with the long hair that covers his face and is just a total brute. Yeah, there's something so familiar about it, but I can't really name anything specific. I guess the fact that they're zombies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and of course you have the daughter zombie, which is great. So yeah, unique but familiar is a great way to put it. Yeah, I mean, there's even redneck zombies out there. <laughs> but there's never been anything quite like the Buckners. As good as the Buckners are, Danny, Kurt had that conch in his hand, man. He just wants to see that merman, dude. <laughs> I gotta say, Hadley's obsession with the merman probably delivers one of the greatest payoffs in horror movie history. <laughs> I totally forgot about this payoff, and I was like, oh yeah, that's so uh, ingenious. <laughs> So I kind of hinted at it earlier, too, that this organization they're a part of is global. And we get to see that there are multiple rituals taking place. I guess it's all about better odds of success, right? <laughs> but by the time we're paying attention to this, all the other rituals have failed except Japan. And we do get to see the Japanese ritual on screen a few times, and it is hilarious. Just riffing on J-horror, ghost and all, schoolgirls. It's perfect. <laughs> yeah, it's so good. Like, again, it feels so familiar, yet unique, and totally captures that J-horror atmosphere. It was like, man, that was so good. If only we could see everything else. But I feel like Japan... And J-Horror was like the perfect choice for the film. Oh, yeah. But we all know which ritual it's going to come down to. Japan is going to fail. But the Japanese failure also delivers the hilarious scene of Sitterson telling all the little Japanese girls to go fuck themselves. <laughs> That's so fucking funny <laughs> <laughs> fuck you fuck you fuck you <laughs> those little girls fucked over the greater scheme of humanity you know uh, they don't know it what can you do <laughs> <laughs> so meanwhile Jules is now doing her sexy stripper dance at the delight of the now full Cro-Magnon Kurt. <laughs> and this is where Holden has turned into the geek. I think they call it the scholar, but he just so happened to study Latin in high school too. <laughs> Marty decides to share his theory on what's going on, and this prompts Kurt to take Jules for a stroll. It's worth mentioning, too, that Marty's the only one noticing these subliminal whispers in the air. <laughs> Enough about that, though. The real question is, what is any good ritual sacrifice based on the American slasher without some sex or at least a tiny bit of nudity? 
You can't riff on horror movies without having some sort of titty. <laughs> How about the disappointment on all the workers' faces when Jules gives the I'm chilly response to Kurt? <laughs> yeah, that's what makes it so great, though, is that cut to all the workers watching, hoping to see some nipple in there. <laughs> yeah, and then the other great thing about this is really getting to watch Hadley and Sitterson go to work. Like, they have everything from environmental temperature control to pheromone mists. It's crazy. <laughs> yeah, every little detail thought out, you know. <laughs> we have to appease those giant evil gods. <laughs> Jules does deliver the goods, though, Danny. And with that, the whore has outlived her purpose. And suddenly the Buckner's strike. And strike hard they do with that rusty blade through Jules' hand. Man, are the weapons the Buckners wield terrible or what? <laughs> a fucking bear trap? Uh-oh. <laughs> Not just a bear trap, but a bear trap with a chain. And this big bad Buckner uses it like a grabber in a human claw machine. <laughs> Yeah, just closes on command and is basically a giant, deathly uh, fishing rod. <laughs> <laughs> then you have this giant rusty saw that Jules finds herself on the receiving end of. Kurt manages to escape, so it's only a matter of time before the others are alerted to this danger. And back at the cabin, Dana and Holden are getting fresh. And this is one of the only moments where we see Dana's transformation into the Virgin as she tells Holden, I've never, before becoming visibly confused herself and correcting the record by saying, well, not never. <laughs> <laughs> then they're awkwardly interrupted when Marty walks by and points out Holden's raging husband's bulge. <laughs> Poor egghead. <laughs> so Kurt runs into Marty outside the cabin before Patience Buckner can sneak his ass and the two run inside and cause a full-blown panic we get the great bit with Dana opening the door due to her concern for Jules and she's greeted by Papa Buckner who tosses her Jules' bloody severed head oh I love that <laughs> such a shock to Dana like Oh my god, <laughs> I'm holding my friend's head. <laughs> you know, you would think, where do we go from here? But this movie has plenty more places to take them. <laughs> <laughs> and us. Once they manage to close the door on Papa Buckner, we get that scene where Kurt's rallying the troops, and he's got a smart plan. But of course, the good old engineers chemically manipulate him into suggesting they all split <laughs> up. <laughs> And there's sexual pheromones, and now there's pheromones that get you thinking different, <laughs> making <laughs> stupid decisions. Right. It explains why people in horror movies make terrible decisions, Danny. Right. You just love it. You know, every little thing is like answered or given a reason to why it exists. I will say the only thing I don't love is how they lock them in their rooms here. Like, that didn't make a whole lot of sense to me. <laughs> yeah, you can kind of assume that they're going to barricade themselves in, but 
then it's like why you need to lock the door in the first place. I don't know. Yeah, it's a bit weird, but whatever. Yeah. <laughs> the only good bit here is when Marty breaks the lamp on accident and he finds the hidden cameras. And he comes to the conclusion that he's on a reality television show because that <laughs> makes sense. His schizophrenic delusions have been uh, confirmed to be real. <laughs> As he finds the camera, he's like, oh shit. But it's just a reality TV show. His parents are going to think he's such a burnout, Danny. <laughs> and then Marty winds up getting pulled out of the window by Judah Buckner. And it's the end of the road for the fool. Or is it? Back inside, Holden regroups with Dana. And they make their way to the basement. And we get some excellent human claw machine action here with Holden getting snagged by Papa Buckner. I got a prize. <laughs> a winner every time. <laughs> Not when I play him. <laughs> Luckily for Holden, though, Dana goes in hard on Papa Buckner. And she delivers a tire iron impalement to the face. <laughs> And then she even gets stab happy because this dude ain't dying. <laughs> After that, our three potential sacrifices left manage to escape in the Rambler. And we get this exciting moment when the engineers realize the tunnel to the cabin hasn't blown out. And Citizen has to make a mad dash to manually trigger the cave-in. And he manages to blow this tunnel in the nick of time. And that leads us to the force field bit, Danny. Well, I just love that little bit of, like, tension here at the facility. Like, oh, shit. Like, what do you mean the charges didn't go off and we didn't block the road? Fuck, fuck. Like, <laughs> he's rushing over there to get it done and make sure that everything is uh, under control. It's such a good bit of tension, you know, in such little time. I, I really enjoy that little sequence. Yeah, it's like the only time until our final act that we actually see them really in a panic. And yeah, it's really fun. And again, it's all edited together. So great, you know? Yeah, totally. So let's talk about this force field scene. <laughs> <laughs> oh, with pleasure. So Kurt decides to attempt to jump this giant gap on his dirt bike. And all seems good until he slams into this invisible barrier. So what are your thoughts on this, Danny? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love it. It just plays it up as such a heroic moment. <laughs> and then just like fucking steps on it, you know, and just trashes it. But also like for our characters, for Dana, most of all, it's like... The realization that something beyond your control is happening and there's nothing you can do to stop it. Yeah, you know, that's one thing I realized. And I have to say, the first time I saw it, I definitely wasn't a fan. <laughs> but now it's just too funny watching Chris Hemsworth just get obliterated here. Like, for this is not, right? <laughs> and then the way he just endlessly ragdolls down this thing. Right, just like not stopping, just continuously thrashing against this fucking 
Invisible Force Field. Oh, it's so great. It has this, like, nihilistic tone to it, you know, like, fuck you and fuck your, like, optimistic <laughs> endeavors. <laughs> He's just fucking dead. <laughs> <laughs> I love Holden, too. He's like, he isn't, there's nothing. <laughs> <laughs> what is it? There's nothing. <laughs> you said it best, though. Like, the real reason I wound up truly forgiving it is because it is so narratively important to Dana realizing that Marty was right. Right? Yeah. Yeah. So, I'm going on record. I'm for the force field death. Plus, think of it like this, okay? All of the rituals are based on some kind of horror genre or trope. You've got J-horror with ghosts, along with a few others that we get the briefest of glimpses of. I'm pretty sure I saw a kaiju one in there. (laughs) (laughs) There was some giant dead beast, I know that. But the American ritual (laughs) is based on the American slasher. Or is it? Because there's no denying that meta has cut out quite the corner in American horror. And this definitely puts the film squarely in that realm. Because the engineers are part of this story now. I mean, look, you could even get a bit in the mouth of madnessy here with this, if you really want to. Like, this is the movie that saved our world from the wrath of the ancient giant gods, Danny. We should be thankful. <laughs> we are thankful, and we will continue to watch this every year for <laughs> the uh, angry gods that could smite us. <laughs> so back in the RV, Dana is recognizing the hopelessness of this situation. But Holden is determined to drive endlessly until they find a way out. And apparently a Buckner has been hiding in the RV this entire time because... Holden just gets unceremoniously killed here. (laughs) Yeah, it makes you wonder, was he just waiting for the perfect moment? (laughs) I love the RV crashing into the lake. And one has to ask, how deep is this fucking lake? (laughs) So with that, Danny, it's time for the organization to celebrate. Because we learn that the death of the Virgin is optional as long as she suffers. And I love how we can see Dana on the dock just getting tossed around by Papa Buckner on the screens behind all the revelers. (laughs) Yeah, I think Papa Buckner is having a little too much fun with Dana over here. It's a good uh, two minutes. He's just tossed around and tortured. But again, that is the point of the version, so. (laughs) Yeah, the party gets quickly interrupted by the ringing of a really important looking red telephone. When a red phone rings, shit's going down. And it turns out the ritual isn't over. And it's in danger of failing because Marty is still alive and Dana's about to die. But alas, Marty manages to save Dana and take her to this underground elevator that he's discovered. And now things are really going to get crazy. I know you said you saw this before, but can you remember to... If you had any idea that this was going to come and be our final act. Yeah, I definitely remembered the entire story. It's something that's a little hard to forget once you see it. But I definitely don't think 
the excitement of it all and the revelation is cheapened in any way by knowing it. I really enjoyed everything from this point on. I would say it's probably my favorite part of the entire movie. I don't know how you feel. Oh, I love it. I think it's great. I mean, as soon as they take that Wonka Vader down. (laughs) (laughs) First of all, they end up in a freaking cube. But the cube is just full of. Oh, man. I mean, what can you say? Like this movie literally becomes spot the horror reference orgy. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, about this scene, it's like you could stop it at that point where it's like shows all the different elevators and all the different monsters inside and just like pick it apart and see like oh let me see what's over here what's over there or what's in this frame like it's so deep and a lot of love was taken into crafting uh, this entire moment of the film and it just you know, speaks a lot of volumes to the entire genre of horror and the and the love for it that this movie has. You know, this movie definitely has a lot of love for the genre, but that's why it's able to poke fun at it and say, like, isn't this ridiculous about the movies that we love? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just to name a few, we've got a werewolf, ghosts, creepy tooth-faced ballerinas. And a pinhead knockoff. <laughs> <laughs> and you gotta love when Dana realizes that they chose their fate, right? Yeah, totally. And at this point, revenge is really the only option. And after being confronted by armed guards, Dana and Marty have no choice but to unleash a bloodbath. And we've already waxed poetically about this, but truly. I mean, I guess the question to ask is what horror trope icon or kill don't we get in this movie? (laughs) You get pretty much a little bit of everything. Yeah, we've got real zombies, killer clowns, a masked group akin to the strangers. I mean, we have creature feature creatures aplenty. We even get a (laughs) damn unicorn horn impalement. (laughs) (laughs) Now that's rare. Of course, we're going to save our favorite kill and favorite scene for last, like we always do. But I have to ask right here and right now, did you have any favorite callback? Um, you know, they're also good. It's really tough to pick a favorite. Um, I think I definitely think the unicorn is like so jarring at first, but it makes complete sense, you know? (laughs) But, uh shit i don't know it they're all really good it's really tough for me to uh pick a favorite <laughs> how about you do you have one hey that's totally fair uh i do my favorite callback is definitely the killer scarecrows that wind up killing truman it's mm-hmm. it's funny because i'm not even the biggest fan of 1988 scarecrows But I've never ceased (laughs) to be drawn to it due to the simple fact that killer scarecrows look fucking awesome. And of course, this leads to the death of Hadley at the hands of a merman, Danny. Oh, of course. Such a beautiful and ironic death here, huh? Like you said, an amazing payoff in this film. 
It's uh, so good. So we get a couple references to a merman and how much Hadley wants to see one. And then even he himself is like, oh, come on, when he realizes <laughs> he's about to be killed by the merman itself. Hey, so, hey he got to see it. <laughs> well done. Very well done. And, you know, we don't even get to see the merman for very long, but. Man, is it great, especially once it's eating his face off and shooting blood out of its blowhole. <laughs> After the chem department girl is grabbed by a giant tentacle, it leaves Sitterson all by himself, and he escapes through a tunnel, but he runs right into a knife being held by Dana, and he manages to tell her to kill him, meaning Marty, before he dies. The two then wind up in this room where ritual blood has been filling these stone carvings of the horror group stereotypes throughout the movie. And then Sigourney Weaver does what she did best in this period of her career. She makes a late real cameo as the big bad in a genre film. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I haven't seen Alien or any Alien films, but uh, was this a... Uh... Surprise to you when you saw it? Uh, I can't remember if this came first or Paul. But yeah, I was definitely surprised. I didn't... I don't think they show her name in the opening credits at all. But uh, I was just thrown. I was like, what the hell? <laughs> <laughs> it really is just like, oh yeah, it's so neat. <laughs> Such a good cameo. Yeah. Definitely. She, uh, whether it's a cameo like this or anything else she does, she's great. And I hope we didn't lose any listeners when you said you never saw Alien or any of that. <laughs> well, I watch what Sean tells me to, okay? You can't get too mad at me. <laughs> We're gonna get there. Hey, keep listening, because they're coming. <laughs> so our big bad in Sigourney Weaver tells Marty and Dana what's going on what the stakes are. And this almost convinces Dana to kill Marty. Were you surprised by that? <laughs> well, throughout the whole movie, I was thinking like, you know, these people really do believe they're doing a service to humanity and serving the greater good, making these sacrifices to the gods and making sure humanity is able to live on. So they definitely think they're in the right. And I can definitely see why Dana would make that logical conclusion like, you know, maybe I should do this. You know, I thought Dana was thinking about maybe her parents or maybe she has siblings or people she cares about and doesn't want to see them dead. So I would be totally, you know, if I put myself in Dana's shoes, I don't know what decision I would make. You know, it would definitely be a hard choice. Right. Well. We will never know if she would have pulled that trigger because Marty allows a werewolf to sneak up on Dana and just maul the shit out of her. <laughs> and then moments later, thanks to an assist by Patience Buckner, Marty manages to knock Sigourney Weaver off of this platform and to her death. And with that, the ritual has truly failed. The building begins to collapse around Dana and Marty as they sit there, covered in blood from their injuries. They share a joint as they prepare for the end of the world. And as the room explodes into rubble, 
we cut to an exterior shot of the cabin in the woods and witness a giant molten arm emerge from the earth and its hand comes crashing down. And that's the end of our movie. So Danny, why don't you give us your final thoughts on Cabin in the Woods? Well, Cabin in the Woods is a movie that anyone can truly enjoy. Whether you're a gigantic horror fan for many, many, many years, like my dear old brother Sean that I love so much, (laughs) or a newbie like me, or someone who's never even seen a horror movie in their entire life, I think just the general idea of Cabin in the Woods is so immediately understood to anybody that it is just really enjoyable. It's a great script, really funny. Like I said, solid 90-minute runtime. (laughs) And, uh... Yeah, it's just so unique and inventive and fun that it is definitely worth a watch no matter who you are. Maybe you misclicked and accidentally started listening to a Fraternity episode and you never even, you don't even know what a horror movie is. You should definitely watch this movie. (laughs) Well said. Well, all right, man, you know what time it is. We've got principal kills, background kills, all types of kills in this movie. But what's your favorite? My favorite, it might come as a shock to you, Sean, but I really enjoy when Kurt smashes himself (laughs) into that invisible barrier. I totally forgot about this kill, but when it was building up to it, I was like, oh, this is what's going to happen. You know, we get a little bit of foreshadowing with that bird smashing into the invisible barrier earlier on in the film. And then here's kind of the payoff here as Kurt is making this heroic stance. You know, I'm going to go over there. I'm going to get every cop, everybody over here. We're, I'm going to save you guys, you know. Even if I break <laughs> my legs, I'm going to drag myself to find out. I'm going to do, do whatever it takes. Just that buildup of the heroic <laughs> stance was so fucking funny to me. Knowing that it was going to end with him smashing into that barrier. (laughs) And, you know, the movie just fucking lives on it. You know, it's like, look at him smashing down (laughs) just his limp corpse. And Dana's just like horror at it all. (laughs) You know, and Holden just totally confused. Like, what the fuck? Like, what did he hit? You know, like, I love this kill. It, like I said, it's like it has this nihilistic view to it, and I don't know nothing. I like I love a lot of the kills in this film, especially later on. You know when we get that massive facility kill of every all the workers just getting fucking annihilated. I really wanted to pick that as just like a an overall overarching thing, but the more I thought about it, the more I was like, man, Kurt's death is just so well done and such a like turning point in the film too. Where it's like we're getting closer and closer to those two storylines diverging and coming into one. So that's my favorite kill. (laughs) Bravo, man. Bravo. (laughs) I don't think I can top that, but I'm going with the death of Jules. It's just hard to rival the beheading death of a half-naked chick for me. I'm always (laughs) down for it. Really, though? 
Here's the thing. I just love the way this sequence is put together. I think this film is beautifully made. You know, very competent people behind the lens. Great work in the editing room. Just fantastic. And this scene really shines in all those departments for me. And if I'm being brutally honest, towards the end of the movie, the Buckners did start to fall a bit flat for me. Like, they have massive potential. And they're good. But I don't think they ever live up to that potential quite as much as they do in this scene. Patience Buckner's wandering ass looks cool. But besides Papa Buckner, the rest of the zombie redneck torture family goes pretty underutilized after this kill right here. None of their sequences capture my imagination quite like this introduction. And this first kill here, with the beheading of Jules, I guess it's not that big of a deal, the Buckner's falling flat. I guess why I don't hold it against the movie is because we wind up getting so much more. But yeah, when they're holding Jules up, you see that rusty saw. And then they make that slice and you see that blood shoot out. Favorite kill. Right on. I totally get what you're saying about the Buckner's not feeling 100% utilized. But like you said, there's so much more in this film to appreciate that they almost kind of take a backseat in the end of it all. So yeah, it's a bit of give and take. Right, definitely. And with that, all we got left is favorite scene, Danny. I'd love to hear yours. Well, my favorite scene, it's... When Marty and Dana are in the elevator and they come across that uh, not-so-subtle pinhead reference guy with the puzzle box. <laughs> yeah, I was wondering what to call him. <laughs> Sawblade let's, let's just call him not pinhead. <laughs> I'm fine with that. <laughs> so I just love the way not pinhead is just like, looked staring at Dana as she's like making the realization that they chose what was going to happen to them and she's making the realization and not Pinhead is just staring directly at her and you're almost waiting for him to make some sort of like gesture that he's like understands what Dana is going through but in the end that doesn't come he's just enjoying her suffering and pain much like the real Cenobites. But yeah, this whole sequence is great, but that image of Dana and Marty staring at Not Pinhead and realizing that they're a part of something grander than themselves and a part of a puppeteer's show is so good. And it's uh, really highlighted here with the elevator scene, but especially... Not Pinhead with his contact lens blackened eyes just staring at them menacingly, enjoying the suffering. No tears, please. It's a waste of good suffering. (laughs) Yeah, well said. I'm a huge fan of that bit too. You know, just what brief moments Not Pinhead gets are really great. (laughs) (laughs) So, Sean... Let us have it. What's your favorite scene in Cabin in the Woods? Believe it or not, Jules is going two for two in my choices. Because my favorite scene 
is the makeout scene with the mounted wolf's head. <laughs> right on. Interesting. I like your choices. Never mind all of that fantastical shit. I just love this sequence. It again comes down to capturing my imagination and the brilliance behind the camera. And then you have this mounted wolf's head. And the first time I watched this, I can remember just anticipating that damn head to come to life. And every time I see it, I still think there's a chance, you know? (laughs) (laughs) You are just waiting for it. Like, it is built up so well, and there's so much tenseness in the scene where you're like, dude, this werewolf's gonna bite her fucking face off. But it doesn't happen. But, you know, a well-crafted scene will leave you staring at it every time so i get you oh yeah i love all the shots i love the editing not to mention the acting and the actual act of jules making out with this thing you know we know it's a clean prop but that doesn't make the idea any less disgusting (laughs) in your mind where has that thing been danny (laughs) <laughs> exactly how long has it been in my, on that wall I don't, I'm afraid to ask <laughs> <laughs> so there it is Jules making out with a wolf's head and Jules losing her head one <laughs> might think I just have a thing for Jules <laughs> well that was Cabin in the Woods we're getting close to October and Halloween and Fraternity is going to be bringing you an episode every week in October to keep you in the spooky spirit and we hope you keep listening the fraternity have a great night everyone good job zombie arm <laughs>